Good morning. Welcome to Daily Sabbath. I invite you to stand. We are very delighted to have Dr. Sarah Rubel here as our speaker this morning. We will begin worship by singing together, so you can find the light-colored red hymnal and turn to page 886. 886, and we'll sing all the verses. try again and again to make in our own image. Enable us to desire rightly and to be of use in the service of others. Be with this assembly as we work and learn, sing and pray. Grant us the wisdom to create what is essential for the common good. Keep within each of our hearts a love for the cause of human welfare and a dedication to enrich the lives of all people. Amen. You may be seated. Reading from Psalm 146. Alleluia. Praise God, my soul. I will praise you all my life. I will sing praise to my God while I live. Do not trust in rulers, in mortals in whom there is no salvation. When their spirit departs, they return to earth, and on that day their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Israel, whose hope is in God, their God. 
who has made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it. God, you keep faith forever. You secure justice for the oppressed. You give food to the hungry. You set captives free. You give sight to the blind. You raise up those who are bowed down. You love those who do justice. You protect strangers. You sustain orphans and the betrayed. But you thwart the way of the corrupt. God will reign forever. Your God, Zion, through all generations. Alleluia. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Put not your trust in princes. That's an older translation of Psalm 46. And it's the quotation the beleaguered leader spoke to his people in 1862, comforting them with the news that God, not earthly rulers, ensured their success. The speaker was Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederate States of America. He was bemoaning the reluctance of England and France to recognize the Confederacy. Echoing the psalm for today, he encouraged his people to put not their trust in princes, but in God. Like the psalmist, he fully expected God's vindication of his cause. Jefferson Davis was a particularly egregious example of a fairly common Christian practice, assuming that the comforting words of Scripture are addressed to us in a relatively straightforward way. I recognize that this is something that people of other faith traditions may do with their texts, but I'm going to talk about my Christian people because we do this all this time and it's a problem. We make this assumption in part because we often consider ourselves the protagonists in the biblical story, the people who the story is about. So when we read something that we like, usually something about God being on our side, we think, well, great, this passage is about me. I can step into the shoes of the protagonist, who we take to be the psalmist, and assume that what was true for the psalmist, an apparently beleaguered person, is true for me in whatever way I happen to feel beleaguered. The problem with our assumption that we are the protagonist is obvious when we think about Jefferson Davis in Psalm 146. Jefferson Davis was fighting a war to preserve a country dedicated, as his vice president quite clearly said, to the truth that white people and black people were not equal. It's easy to see now, and would have been quite obvious to, say, Jefferson Davis's slaves at the time, that Jefferson Davis was not the protagonist in this psalm. He was the prince in whom people shouldn't put their trust. So how do we keep from assuming that the Bible is talking about us when it isn't? How might we hear what it has to say to us even if we don't like it very much. Well, first, I think we should start with a new premise. We aren't the protagonist in the Bible. Neither, for that matter, was the psalmist. God is the protagonist. The story is about God. 
What we learn first and foremost from the Bible is who God is and what God is about in the world. In the context of Psalm 146, that means we learn that not only is God the creator of everything, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but that God who created everything is the God who wants wholeness and healing for people who are captive or oppressed. God is about setting prisoners free, giving sight to the blind, lifting up those who are bowed down, watching out for strangers, and holding up widows and orphans. That is what the protagonist is about in the world. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that we don't have a role in this story. We do. But we find what part we are playing by looking at what the protagonist, God, is doing, and then figuring out where we are in relationship to that activity. In other words, rather than assuming that we know the truth about our lives and then reading that truth into the text, we let the text read us and tell us the truth about our lives. So when I read Psalm 146, I shouldn't assume where I am in the text. I certainly shouldn't assume I'm in the place of the psalmist. But I should ask, where am I in this text? Am I one who is in prison, or a stranger, or bowed down? Now clearly, for some people, the answer to that question is yes. I am in prison, or a stranger, or bowed down. Some people really are in places like the beleaguered psalmist. That is the truth of their lives. And what the text says to them is that God is about liberating them from those chains, protecting them from alienation, and providing for them in their distress. In other cases, however, we will find that no. In fact, we are not in prison, not bowed down, not a stranger, not a widow, not an alien. But that doesn't mean we're not in the text. Just because you're not the protagonist, nor the most immediate subject of God's actions, doesn't mean you aren't in the text. Because here's the next question. Are we the princes, or as we say it today, the rulers in the text? So I have to ask myself, if I'm not the person bowed down, am I the person forcing other people to bow? If I'm not the stranger, am I the person who treats strangers cruelly? If I'm not the widow or the orphan, am I the person who benefits from or perpetuates a system in which being a widow or an orphan means a life of poverty? For some of us, perhaps for many of us, the reality that we find is that we are both the rulers and the bowed down. That if you look at, say, bank account or tax bracket, you might be ruler-esque. Probably not any of the students here, but maybe some of the rest of us. But that if you consider the abusive relationship you are in, or the way you are treated owing to your gender or race, you might be the bowed down. And if you sense right now that I'm doing everything in my power to avoid the word intersectionality in a homily, you are probably right. But whether you use that word or not, the insight that we can be both, that where we stand in relationship to a text varies depending on whether we are thinking about finances, 
race, gender, mental health, or relationships, that insight can be helpful. When the text reads us, it shows us the ways in which we are rulers and prisoners, both the well-known and the stranger. So after figuring out where we are in the story, the next question becomes, where should we be? And here we go back to the protagonist. It's the protagonist's story, so we should be about what the protagonist is about. And there are basically two not mutually exclusive ways to be about what the protagonist is about. Sometimes we are about what the protagonist is about because we are who the protagonist is about. We are the imprisoned, the bowed down, the stranger, and the orphan. And to be clear, the appropriate response when you realize that you are who the protagonist is about is not, wow, it's so great I'm bowed down because that means God is about me. This is not an admonition to enjoy your bowed downness. Rather, it's a reminder that when you say, it's wrong that I'm bowed down and it shouldn't be this way, you are echoing what God, who is the protagonist, thinks is wrong. God thinks it's wrong that you are bowed down and is working to make it so that you aren't. Sometimes, in addition to reading the Bible badly, Christians have this really often, this really awful uh, way of suggesting that it's wrong to lament when you are oppressed, because to lament suggests that you aren't happy with how God has made things. But if God is working to change things, that would actually suggest that God isn't so pleased with the way things are either. Thus, your lament tells the truth. This isn't the way God wants things to be, and God is working for them to be otherwise. The other way to be about what God is about is to be about what God is about. To work in the world to free the imprisoned and raise up the bowed down and welcome the stranger and provide for the widow and the orphan. The key thing here is to remember that we don't do these things because we are the protagonists. God still is. That's important because people who decide that they need to do God's work for God can become prone to think that it's acceptable to try and reach God's outcomes by means God would never use. Thus, when we are about what God is about, we do it in the power of God, using the ways of God. We don't decide that our particular project is so important that we can do what God never would, namely sacrifice people to our project, or coerce people into our actually not-so-peaceable kingdom. It's still God's story, and thus we are confined to God's peaceful means. Now, all of that might sound like good news for the oppressed and good news for those working with God, and again, those often are the same people, but it might sound like bad news for the princes or the rulers, and bad news for us when we realize that, according to the text, we are at least in some ways ruler-esque. It might sound like a good reason to keep reading the Bible the Jefferson Davis way, so that we don't have to recognize how we hurt others and that we need to change our ways. So then the question becomes this. Do we trust the protagonist and the protagonist's story? Do we trust that a protagonist who wants wholeness and healing for the oppressed might be a protagonist who wants wholeness and healing for the rulers too? 
Do we trust that a protagonist who wants enough for the widow and the orphan might have an economics where there is enough for the rulers, although perhaps not as much as they thought they needed? Do we trust the protagonist enough to give up our self-centered stories and join God's story with confidence that the God who created us would not invite us into a story that did not lead to our good? Do we trust that God's wholeness is better than princely riches? That participating in God's economics of grace is better than hoarding in our economics of scarcity? Can we stop putting our trust in rulers, particularly when we are the rulers or have aspirations to rule, and trust the real protagonist? I invite you to stand as we continue by singing the hymn that is on your sheet. If you didn't get one on the way in, try to stand next to somebody and share one.
Trusting in God's grace and goodness, let us go forth in peace to love and to serve. Thanks be to God.